This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. Well, this week on Media Watch, it's a case of the morning after, the night before, as the Media Watch team joined RNZ's Sunday morning show to take a look back at how the media covered the election night on Saturday and some of the issues that arose during the long election campaign before it. And we had the help of some special guests. Joining me for that, my Media Watch colleague Hayden Donnell in our Auckland studio. Kia ora, Hayden. Kia ora, Colin. Thanks for having me. Oh, no charge. And uh, alongside Hayden, a couple of special guests. Uh, we have Janae Tabrashani, a reporter for interest.co.nz, based in the Parliamentary Press Gallery. Now, through the campaign, she's produced some insightful commentary of big issues that have arisen uh, during it, and also some issues that perhaps should have but didn't get covered a whole lot. We'll talk about that later. Uh, kia ora, Janae. Good morning, everyone. And how was election night for you? A bit of live blogging, I think, you had in your professional capacity. Yeah, that's the one. I was at uh, Labour HQ and um, sat there with my laptop. There was a big room where all the media was, and I was one of the people there. So I was sort of running around trying to dip into the main area and and sense the vibe, see what was happening, and then dip out again, write a bit of a blog. And actually stood at one point with my cell phone and was um, sort of filing live uh, you know, the, the vibe when Calvin Davis was doing a speech. So um, modern day media, it was a bit of fun. Also in Auckland, uh, Robbie Nicholl, uh, better known as comic showbiz alter ego white man behind a desk. Kia ora, Robbie. How you doing? How you yeah. doing? Good. And now you starred in a series of videos, we should say, all about the election and politics in general for RNZ, which you can find on rnz.co.nz, also on YouTube. That was the Citizen's Handbook. And in one of these videos, uh, you did your bit to boost voter turnout uh, by turning the Electoral Commission's friendly animated mascot, Orange Man, into a horror movie figure of fun. If that didn't get voter turnout up, I don't know what will. Hopefully everyone lived happily after after that, Robbie, right? Voter turnout's great this year as well, so congratulations. Thank you so much. We will take sole credit for that. Uh, That was just us. Fear-mongering does work if it's in a good cause, I suppose. Well, we'll start off by having a look at uh, what the various outlets had to offer. Um, I started my viewing actually about 6 o'clock news time. Uh, Always watch that on an election night because with polls not closing till 7, they can't cover anything which could influence voters. I uh, always find it funny. They're like coiled springs, but not much to say. Um, so here's a bit of um, Mike McRoberts on News Hub at 6. He was live at the National Party headquarters at the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron. Can they emulate Team New Zealand and come home with a wet sail? Or will the results of the evening mean a few of their mates go overboard? We know that around 300 of the party faith will be crammed in here later. The ship's captain, uh, Judith Collins, will be addressing them. We'll find out then whether they're on the love boat or the Titanic. But we're ready to set sail, so we'll see you at seven. Fantastic. Mike McRoberts live at West Haven. Thanks very much. I hope you have some puns left for later in the show. And, uh, yeah, Mike Roberts did have a few uh, water-based puns in the locker. Uh, we might get to that later. Um, Robbie, were there any particular outlets you were following during the night? Like a lot of millennials who are obsessed with politics and media, I spent a lot of time on Twitter, then also tried to jump between the other 
broadcasters throughout the night, but I did find that I kept gravitating back to TVNZ, try as I might. And and no offence to the lovely coverage at RNZ, of course. Yeah, of course it was, you know, state broadcasters and these big events, that's what they always say. People end up going to them in the end. Um, No, but that's interesting because actually TV3 has prided themselves on winning election night in previous years, and now we have a young person drawing back to the state broadcaster to 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 the home of TVNZ so i mean is that what does that say well he's just produced a series on sort of basically civics so maybe he's you know the wrong kind of millennial maybe you've, exactly you've, you're not a real millennial Robbie. <laughs> okay Sorry. well i can go i guess if i'm not <laughs> no, no, representative of my demographic please stay i'm being rude to robbie down the line from wellington where i'm all on my i can say what i like about our three guests today but uh, seeing as you mentioned it there TVNZ TV3 um hayden you i think you've been looking at a bit of both uh, what did you make of the contrast between the two big networks vying for the big primetime audience? Well, how long have you got, Colin? I've actually compiled quite a list of, of, of uh, things that were good and bad about both coverage, uh, both networks' coverage. Heavily can... summarised bullet points would okay, do Okay, right. Well, TVNZ's wins, I thought, set design. Just a lot better, right? Like, it was a bit further away. It felt a bit more relaxed, you know, some nice neutral colours, a bit of that purple. I like the purple. It looked a bit like an 80s game show for the first debate. They'd cleared that up. It looked a lot nicer. Every time I switched over to TV3, it felt like I'd I'd caught them in the middle of a crash zoom. (laughs) Like, it just was so close. It felt like Paul Henry was wedged against Duncan Garner, was wedged against Linda Clark. I felt like it was just a little bit too tight. It was too much. Also, the backdrop there... It looked like maybe the White House. I felt like they'd mixed up the elections or something. I don't know what it was. There was some sort of palisades. But, yeah, it it seemed like they'd been caught on the hop and had to adjust for the New Zealand election. Now, the TV3, they did have their much-vaunted graphics. This is actually quite a big win for them because TVNZ is way ahead on augmented reality. They've invested a lot of money in the news product. Uh, TV3 had these virtual parliaments set up with Ryan Bridge. It looked great. But we, it felt like we were in a UFO hovering above him a lot of the time. But those... I felt like I was spying on him somehow. He was looking <laughs> up at me vertically, and it felt a little odd to me. You, you guys were fine with that. Yeah, I was fine with that. And the graphic representations I liked because uh, I, I, there's a tendency, isn't there, when you can do things digitally that were strained. I thought their graphics were clever and, and not corny and very clear. And, uh, you know, with the escalating Christmas cake that became as tall as Ryan Bridge, showing you fairly effectively the scale of what had happened on the left block. Uh, Easy on the eye too, so I thought they did a great job with the graphics there, but possibly, in my view, TVNZ running a a better studio game, marginally. I thought thought TVNZ edged out the studio game. Mm. I don't know if that fellow millennials, whether you thought that. Every time I, you know, crossed over to, to TV3, there was a strong feeling of Paddy was either imploding or exploding. <laughs> he seemed overwhelmed. Well, let's go to Paddy because Paddy's another guy. We're about to blow Paddy. Yeah, and I tell you what, I don't know why Tamari Coffee says he's good because he's only hanging on by 10 votes to what should be a safe seat. So I don't know what is good about that. But what is really good is a nice, <laughs> close electorate race with 10 votes in it. We'll keep you informed. Good, good, good. It is, it is, he's, the guy of the, he's the guy of the election. It is Paddy Gow. Uh, you know, and I, I love that Paddy's a showman mm. and that he's a performer, but it did kind of feel to me like TVNZ, which I suppose is their, you know, their MO, it felt like the channel for grown-ups. They seemed a little less desperate for me to keep watching to be excited, and I was just 
relaxed by the calm rapport between, you know, Hillary and John. But that, that's, that's, that's always been the way, the way, on TV3. I mean, all the way back to its early days, you know, even the, you know, Belinda Todd and all of that when, when it was a new network. And that was their, their thing, their difference. Um, but I preferred Patrick Gower's uh, shenanigans. <laughs> uh, Simon Dell, of course, did a professional, admirable job. No criticisms there, but actually, if you're talking about the trying to generate the excitement of democracy and, and enthusiasm for democracy, then Patrick Gower, you know, getting on the floor to show how low Nationals' vote was, getting incredibly excited about the one-vote margin in Waiariki, I, I preferred that. I like a little bit of spice with my election map coverage. I In general, though, I thought TVNZ had the edge in the presenters, and that was down to two people, Hillary and John that dynamic. Though wasn't it? I mean, I must admit I wasn't watching. I was doing my blog, which obviously was fantastic, the best part of the election coverage, clearly. But um, they, they, they had a bit of chat, didn't they? A bit of banter. and, and Absolutely, yeah. yeah. John saying that Hearn Bay is an Audi car yard and you know, Hannah Tamaki more distant than the Old Testament. You know, yeah. there were a few zingers in there. Where's Mark Mitchell? Has he been abducted by aliens? Some quips about quinoa at the Green Party event. And at the end, Hillary dinging John Campbell... Off with a bell. I mean, we we might. Yeah, that, that was the part I watched. The except mm. the dinging. Yeah, lots of dinging. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was just a lot. We'll get to the dinging later. But other outlets I took a look at. I mean, RNZ. Interestingly, I mean, last election was I think their first effort at doing a real genuine multimedia thing. It was a bit of a hard watch in vision back then. No on-screen graphics uh, and so on. This time, very different, and if you were watching it, as I did on a homepage, beside that they had live updated graphics and a graphic representation of the house, the way the seats were swinging, as well as the latest count. So if there was a flat spot in the visuals, uh, owing to it not being the full TV production quite, then your eye was just drawn across to the side. Um, there was also the option just to click on it, listen to the audio if you want, and it was absolutely fine on there too. Uh, some great guests. They had Amy Adams, who really performed... Uh, for now, them, um, and that that was an interesting point. But before you kick in there, Hayden, one thing to compare it was with Stuff. Uh, Stuff also did a whole live Envision stream, and they're a bit, I guess, they didn't have the benefit of having done quite such an elaborate production last election. They struggled a bit at times. Alison Moore, with her TV skills, at times, you know, looking at they had two cameras, there were whole extended bits were looking in the wrong one, and just a bit of TV grammar that went wrong. The sound wasn't wonderful, but they are clearly building up to that too. Had their reporters in all sorts of places, fairly marginal links at times and people pressing their earpieces in and all of that. But, you know, they're clearly giving that a go as well. Uh, and they kept it going right up till 11 o'clock with an interesting range of guests and other journalists contributing too. So, but I'd like to actually chuck in, I think it gets overlooked a bit, but you mentioned that Wairiki electorate and uh, how that was one of the uh, stories of the night. Here's just a little taste of uh, Māori TV covering that developing race in Wairiki. Now Rawiri Waititi is putting up a huge fight tonight, 13% of the polls. Uh, in the last election, we know that most of the votes came from Kawiro. It'll be interesting to see how those Kawiro voters uh, went to voting in this election. Yeah, so just a wee taste. Of, of course, that was nothing like, uh, as you mentioned, Hayden, the rather explosive um, reaction it got from Patrick Gower, who really brought, as you mentioned, the physical comedy there. At one point, I don't know if you caught the, um, the Christopher Luxon strut. 
Oh, I actually didn't see the Christopher Lloyd. No, this was the other part of his physical comedy was saying he's going to be walking in as someone who had clearly won uh, an electorate and one of uh, only two national MPs, I think, new ones to win one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would be strutting into the caucus room and uh, the the he was being goaded on by the TV3 crew or the News Hub crew there to uh, repeat this um, this Christopher Luxon caucus strut. So either it's something he's actually observed uh, in real life or he was making it up on the spot, but either way, uh, yeah. Hard to take your eyes off. Oh, it was, it was he was absolutely electric. It, no matter what, I mean, it would obviously put Robbie off, and it would put quite a quite a few people off. I was drawn to it. It was like a <laughs> magnet for me. Uh, you mentioned Amy Adams before. Now there was, there was she was one of the best pundits on the night. I thought there was three National Party pundits from the night: uh, Chris Finlayson, Amy Adams, and Nikki Kay. And Nikki Kay was on TVNZ, mm-hmm. and I thought Amy Adams was probably the most candid. And the best of the three, and Chris Finlayson was also excellent on TV3. In general, I thought the pundits probably on, um, I keep saying TV3, but three, News Hub, uh, were a little bit better. Mm, yeah, the Amy Adams, I give her a big credit because at half past seven on RNZ's coverage, so quite early on, she was saying National's got problems picking its candidates. So, And then more than four and a half hours later, as, as RNZ was winding up, she was doing numbers on a piece of paper and said, well, yeah, I think I've worked out here that National has lost uh, nine female MPs, leaving them mm. with, I think, 25% women in this new caucus. Uh, so, yeah, she was a really, uh, really valuable addition to the coverage. Several people have told me they thought Nikki Kay was really bringing it down on, on TVNZ. She was really feeling it. At one point, John Campbell even asked her if she believed the slightly defensive things she was saying about National. There was, there was some allegations that John and Hillary were bullying Nikki Kay. I think she just seemed so down. At some point, John Campbell gave her some lollies. <laughs> yeah, it did come to tipping out, you know, yeah, confectioners lollies yeah. onto the table. I think they seemed like they were genuinely trying to be quite supportive and give us a muffy. I think uh, just if you look downtrodden, yeah. it's, it's quite easy to come across as though you're you know, kicking someone while they're down. But that yeah. was a really important part of the night to have uh, National Party people, you know, recent members of parliament who are prepared to really, you know, have a dig at their own party and explain what had gone wrong. Because, of course, the politicians themselves are going to be defensive uh, about that. Um, I'd like to play just a couple of other uh, moments um, that we picked out from the night. Uh, The Greens, we haven't mentioned them. When uh, Marama Davidson, the co-leader, got up to speak, uh, that prompted some some truly hysterical uh, streaming from the floor. is all of ours to share. And there was plenty more where that came from. I think maybe one or two high-pitched individuals slightly closer to the um, on-stream microphone than others. And one outlet we haven't mentioned actually was um, News Talk ZB and the New Zealand Herald. Uh, they streamed the same coverage. It was in Vision on the Herald's website and audio, of course, on ZB on the radio. Um, one particular moment I picked out from their coverage was um, their reporter who was standing in front of their graphics board and he just announced that uh, Judith Collins in her own electorate had lost the party vote at the very moment uh, when um, Judith Collins got up to make her concession speech. We, we are potentially going to cross at some point actually to Judith. She's just walked in. We, uh, we, we understand some notes here in Northcote, Dan Bedouin, National held Northcote for 15 years. He's out. Alfred Naro, he tried in Te Arata as well. He's gone too. 
Ever. All right, thanks very much, Will. Um, we definitely want to come back and have a look at this because we have a massive list of losers in the National Party, but let's first go to Judith Collins. Yeah, pretty harsh if you're uh, trying to make your concession speech having come off the back of what she described as a massive list of losers. Uh, just one more for you now. This is from TVNZ's uh, coverage. You've already mentioned that John Campbell and Hilary Barry seem to be enjoying themselves as a pairing. Um, and towards the end, this is uh, with um, pundit Emma Espiner. Uh, they were noting some of the minor parties and uh, Jamie Lee Ross's Advance NZ had not done too well. Well, a, a nationwide Advance NZ got 19,579 votes. They would have got more, but 5G interfered with them. <laughs> yes, I know. But they, and the tin but how, much, how much did we in the media talk about them? How much did we give oh, you a mea We I didn't know. cover them once. Look, they can commiserate on their Facebook page. Oh, no, they can't. <laughs> um, and, have and, you, you know, been drinking every day? No. Do I have some place? Not to be too smug about it, but they are cynical, opportunistic narcissists, and this is absolutely what they deserve. Yeah, it was Emma Espiner there um, t- telling it like it is, as she saw it, and uh, her partner Guyon, um, he actually made the same gag as Hilary Barry about maybe uh, Jamie Lee Ross could blame the 5G for interfering with their performance. But I would say that if that's right, uh, what John Campbell was saying there, 19,500 votes for that pa- for his party, that, that's more, a lot more, I think, than ACT got in 2017, and look where they are now. So the minor parties didn't really feature much, did they, Hayden? Uh, no, and I thought maybe some of the networks were probably there. There wasn't as much coverage of, the, especially that Waiariki electorate, as I thought maybe there could have been. If we're talking about some of these uh, electorate races, that actually have really changed the makeup of the parliament. Uh, Māori Party being back in is actually very significant, and maybe there wasn't quite the level of coverage down there. There should have been. Maybe that was because some of the polling was a bit scattershot beforehand, and there was actually uh, more polls. That showed Tamaki Makoto was closer with John Tamahiri. Uh I don't know what it was, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, Māori TV obviously covered it really well. I'm not sure that the major networks were down there as much. Hey, Janae, when you were um, at Labour's HQ there, they would have had big screens up, I imagine, with all the coverage you, you mentioned earlier, that some of it. Were there any moments that, you, even in the bedlam of the event, uh, really stood out that you know you couldn't take your eye off? Actually, I thought there was, it was a fairly calm event. So there was a big room where the media w- was, and I was in that room, and there were no screens there. It was very quiet, actually quite calm. Everyone just had a job to do and was doing it. And then in the main Auckland Town Hall area, there were screens, and then there was a separate area that was the bar. Um, the standout moment for me, of course, was when I went into the main area and Jacinda Ardern came on stage and just the, the crowd erupted. Mm. It's interesting. I thought they almost missed a trick for the broadcast playing a, there was a shapeshifter over the top of it, like at top volume, when I'm sure it would have been an incredible cheer when she came out. You couldn't really hear it on the TV. Oh, yeah. It was an, it was an incredible chat. It was, it was funny because Calvin Davis did a speech beforehand, and I must say it was a bit of a disappointing speech. He sort of brought down the tone um, and really laid international, perhaps went a bit too far, in my view, brought the tone down a bit. People were just like, bring on Jacinda Ardern. And when she came on and it was like, boom. And, uh, you know, there was a, a def- definite vibe. Yeah, the TV3, um, uh, the News Hub, Special. They were openly mocking that speech by uh, by Kelvin Davis and dipped out of it indeed. And when they went back to it and found he was still talking, yeah, they, <laughs> they, got, they got really insulting. And look, before we move on to actually look at uh, some of the aspects of the campaign rather than election night itself, Robbie, um, any other moments of the night from from your viewing that you thought you know stood out um, in your viewing? 
the lack of coverage of Waiariki was kind of interesting. I think that was definitely a weak point on TVNZ. As much as I apologise again to Patty for feeling like it was bombastic, mm. it felt like that was the gimme of opportunity for the media of the night. That's the exciting nail-biter. You know, the people in first place are, are swapping back and forth. So when I did turn to TV3 and, and Patty was uh, very excitedly telling me about uh, the, the gap narrowing and then he walked away from the screen and then behind him it, it swapped back and Tumpati Coffee was in the lead or that was you know that is good drama yeah, I'm willing drama. to accept that <laughs> it and was good drama. it was also a moment where he was actually live with um um, Takarari. He had one of their microphones, Tamati Coffee did, and um, uh, News, Hub, uh, News Hub's reporter, I can't recall who it was now, but dipped in and managed to pull him out of that a live two-way to get some reaction from him. Well, that, 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 I think that's emblematic of like the general vibe of the night, right, in the coverage. There was a lot of chaos going on, like actually nicking someone's interview while it's taking place, and that wasn't even the only time it happened. We had TVNZ and TV3 competing for the same interview with Clark Gayford after he <laughs> brought right. when, when he was hobbling the tray of snacks. <laughs> earlier in the evening. And, and, and there was chaotic camera work. I remember Tom McRae being absolutely swamped when David Seymour arrived at Axe Party Shindig. You know, there was, there was a real sense of drama, I thought, across the evening. And I thought, I mean, credit to the camera people. They made it work, and actually it, it worked better for the chaos rather than worse, I think. Well, you're listening to a live Media Watch special looking back at media coverage of the 2020 election with me, Colin Peacock, Media Watch's Hayden Donnell, and guest Robbie Nicholl and Janae Tebrashani. And now uh, let's move on, seeing as we've dealt with election night, what about the campaign itself? One aspect of it, you know, much covered perhaps, was this was all meant to be done and dusted a month ago. Um, do you think... Uh, Janae, that the media sort of lost a bit of enthusiasm. Henry Cook, for example, at Stuff had a piece just <laughs> late last week. Thank goodness this empty election is almost over. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the political journalists seem to cover it with as much enthusiasm as ever. Yeah, look, I, I suppose any fatigue in the media uh, just reflected the fatigue among the public. You know, we've been through a tumultuous year and a lot of COVID was political, um, people have um, f- probably felt like they've been engaging in politics for a long time. That that goes back beyond this election period. So, um, yeah, there were a lot of people who were over it. The the press gallery, you know, while we were tired, uh, we were still excited. I mean, this is what we like. We love politics. And um, so, so there was still that enthusiasm. But I, I think that it does come down to, to public appetite. Maybe some people got a bit sick of it. Yeah, I wonder about that interaction between the uh, media lack of enthusiasm and public lack of enthusiasm and who is informing who there. Um, I think probably you're absolutely right that actually the media was just reflecting public opinion rather than shaping it in this case. So obviously that that interaction sometimes swings the other way. Yeah, and um, also I guess the the way the campaign worked where things were sort of put on hold uh, when Auckland was at level three lockdown. We didn't have too much policy. Then we had, I think we had a week and we had quite a lot of new policy come out. So there wasn't sort of a consistent flow of policy coming out that we had something substantive to discuss, uh, you know, at a nice pace throughout the campaign. And the, the, Henry's talking about empty election, right? Mm. And Oh, yeah, yes, to be fair to him. Yes, 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 absolutely. It, that's absolutely, you've written about this, Janae. Like mm. it was an empty, it was a policy light, election for sure and maybe there would have been more enthusiasm if there were more ideas yeah 
being put out there. Yeah, I mean, we're sort of at this crossroads as a country. We've had this huge event shake everything up, the way we sort of do life, our economic system and everything. And and, uh, there were two options. We could have uh, pivoted the way we look at things, particularly um, economically, and sort of go on a new trajectory, or we could just uh, settle into what we know and keep going in that direction. And that is uh, what we've done, I suppose, politically Labour believed it was safer to uh, promote stability, to provide confidence, as opposed to uh, tr- trying out sort of new economic experiments or trying to convince the public that, you know, we're going to change things, do things drastically different, even though we are living in a drastically different world. Yeah, you've, you've said this is essentially inadequate for our times. Our world has changed incredibly and we're having a let's keep things things the same sort of election. Yeah. And that's the way that the media's covered it? Um know. I mean, the, the media can sort of only just report on what's happening. I often get people emailing, um, readers emailing and saying, oh, you know, climate change and what about this and why aren't we being more radical? And I have to email back and say, look, I can't just write about the, the what-if world. I have to write about the actual world and then maybe do a little bit of the what-if world, mm. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and um, it's, it's that balance. And I, I think I was looking at the government to, and I was really interested to see which pathway they would take. And they took the pathway of stability, and you can see it worked for them. They didn't want to freak people out with, you know, bold new ideas at this uh, point. Yeah, Janae, if I could just jump in there. I mean, your own words here from a piece you wrote called, uh, with the heading on it, Let's Get Honest. Um, It's time to start the discussion around the relationship between the tax system, the country's housing giant, and not completely shut it down for another term of government. COVID-19's already forcing structural changes to the economy. If it's too difficult politically to pivot the economy in a more sustainable direction now, it'll be near impossible once people settle into the new norm and stimulus being provided further entrenches wealth created from assets. So you're basically saying, let's get stuck in. These are big issues that society needs to confront. And look, media plays a role in that too, right? Yeah, the media does um, play a role in it. I think uh, a lot of this, so a lot of the sort of economics that that we have is... uh, controlled by the Reserve Bank. They make these decisions. They're not um, democratically elected. And some of the decisions that they started making in terms of uh, ways to lower interest rates uh, with cutting the OCR and also with quantitative easing, they were made back in March, April, where COVID was just hitting. Everything was chaotic. And uh, a lot of us in the media didn't fully understand exactly what the Reserve Bank was doing and what the implications of that would be. I mean, I was hugely involved. I was on the phone to the Reserve Bank every day. I couldn't believe what they were doing. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not an economist. I can't really critique it. But they took these huge actions and now we're seeing the the flow-on effects of that, of the low interest rates and and the way that that is encouraging people to borrow. And and where they're investing, they're investing in housing. Mm. And that's pumping up house prices um, and, you know, then, then, then we're going to be talking about the political sort of, uh, you know, politicians are going to be talking about what they can do to respond to that. But we've just ignored, you know, months of, um, you know, where, where that's come from. And I think, I think the media should, should reflect on that and also um, our political leaders. Well, there was a pretty heavy media focus on Judith Collins and Nationals' gaffes and controversial statements during the campaign. That created a bit of a media narrative uh, that pundits said, you know, damaged their credibility, actually made it a bit harder, perhaps, for them to build support. And Judith Collins, in conversation with uh, Mike Hosking on News Talk ZB, uh, this is, I think, last Thursday, said that she didn't think this was entirely fair. The press gallery, I think they could really do with some diversity of age diversity of experience, diversity of political thought, 
and actually to get out more and meet more people. You know, I realise that that is a pretty big call, but that's for some of them. And I thought that there are some who have been absolutely... I I felt like I've been talking to the press secretary for the Prime Minister. That's how I felt. The public's perception is that there is something very strange going on for some people. (laughs) <laughs> Something strange going on with some people. Uh, Mike Hosking, by the way, nodded his head and said, Did you, you've hit it on the nail there, uh, Judith. And at the end of that, she said she felt the media were making out people who supported centre-right parties to be nasty people and it's all love and hugs on the other side. So she clearly felt there was bias there but didn't want to call anyone out in particular. Robbie, do you have the sense that the media had it in for National and Judith Collins because of personalities? I think you. it's probably... Right to say that it's unfair. I don't think it's necessarily right to say that it's bias. I, th- I think comedians, you know, uh, and commentators, I think we're a bit lazy. And if there's already a shorthand for a party being a shambles, if they've already, you know, I mean, thinking back to when Nikki Kay said that Paul Goldsmith was Nazi pro, I mean, that was very funny. That segment was objectively very funny. Hamish Price pretending to be a random member of the public was very funny and these things kind of compound and if you could just quickly go bit of a shambles aren't they and you get a pretty good reaction and people laugh and you get you know shares and clicks and likes you're gonna do that mm. and so i think it is it is probably unfair but it is also something you know it happened to labor when they were in the doldrums as well so but Janae, I, more more diversity more uh, age experience in the press gallery this means you <laughs> Yeah, possibly. Actually, I, I think we could do with more diversity. It, it perhaps comes down to the nature of the job in that if you are in the press gallery, you have to commit to it. It's all in. It's not a, a part-time gig. Your your life becomes uh, politics to some extent, and that attracts a certain personality and perhaps people in a certain phase of life as well. Yeah, I think this is the youngest press gallery. I mean, this is unofficial, but apparently this is the way it looks, looking at the former press gallery photos. Like, it's the youngest press gallery in history, just about. And that's probably not just reflective of some uh, weird chance thing that's happening just recently. This is the reflective of the media economics, right? Yeah. Where mm-hmm. actually probably that job was a little bit easier and more well-funded and more well-supported in, in the past, and now it's actually incredibly dominating for your life. There's less resources there, and so actually the only people that can do it are people that are young and able to commit fully. Yeah. Yeah, it might be the sort of, I mean, there are some people who have been in there for years, um, you know, like Audrey Young and Barry Soper and even Richard Harmon. um, And then a lot of other people, they come in, they do a few years, go hard and get out. Well, but, that, always... but that's not political bias, though, is it? It's not necessarily political bias. I mean, it might be a demographic bias. Uh, but, I mean, just remember, two months ago, three months ago, we had every lefty in this country screaming. That the that, that the reporters were being too hard on Jacinda for the border failures. Like, how quickly have we forgotten that? Like, we were saying that the the this young press gallery was biased uh, towards mm. the right just three months ago. That was, was a widespread call. So, I mean, yes, just Judith Collins may be complaining about that now. She probably wasn't complaining about it then, uh, and actually, probably National's own mistakes. Uh, yeah. uh, mm. uh, what form this narrative? But also, it, um. National is also responsible because I, I just look back at the time with Todd Muller when he took the leadership with Nikki Kay and I thought, oh, here, here we have two people who think they can do it better. How are they going to do it better? 
And they didn't say how they were going to do it better. So they didn't come out with any great policy or anything. So then it created this massive void that was filled by conversations around the MAGA hat and so on. And that has kind of been a theme that's continued. I mean, give us some good, crunchy policy and we will discuss it. Well, there will be good, crunchy issues to come (laughs) with this new government. Always difficult to wind up these panel discussions, uh, but we're going to have to do that now. So, uh, look, I'll I'll give a hat tip to Hayden here. He found the perfect way of going out. We're going to steal someone else's uh, way of winding up a broadcast. So this was uh, Hilary Barry and John Campbell. Uh, what was had They gave each of their pundits the opportunity to have a few words and rang a bell when they'd gone over time. And uh, it was John Campbell that got the last word before being shut down by Hilary Barry. But thanks so much for joining us, uh, Janae Tibshrani and Robbie Nicholl and my colleague Hayden Adnell. Cheers. only hope that the government that you have so resoundingly voted for does the job you want them to do. Because if they do, we will all win. (laughs) And it's over. Bye. Go to bed. Go have a drink. I just know one thing. I want to thank the team. I want to thank the team. The gallery team. I want to thank the studio team. have done such a great job. And I want to thank the control room. They're amazing. There's a heck of a lot of people behind the scenes. Okay, night night. Thanks very much. See you at the bar. See you at the bar. See you at the bar. Goodbye. Good night. Off to the gym. See you. That was TVNZ's John Campbell and Hilary Barry raucously rounding out MediaWatch's live post-election special, which was part of RNZ's Sunday morning show, the morning after election night. And the MediaWatch team will be back with more on the media at about 10.30 next Wednesday night with Midweek MediaWatch on The Lately Show with Karen Hay. And then MediaWatch is back again next Sunday on RNZ National.